the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, such a wonderful, marvelous person. No one in all of history more winsome than Jesus of Nazareth. John chapter 6 is a place where we see the Lamb of God in a wonderful way, recorded in all four Gospels for us to study, take note, follow, be inspired. Jesus the Lamb, John chapter 6. Now last week... I urged upon you a spiritual discipline that I hope you have practiced this past week. And that is to go through your day in a conversation with God, giving thanks for the things he brings your way that are beautiful, good, inspiring, lovely, worthy of praise. To keep your mind focused on these things and to give him praise. And thanks as you encounter people that you love and who love you. As you see all of the beauty of nature unfold before you. I hope that you will continue this practice this very week. That that you will determine you are going to live in a dialogue with God. Praying continuously, giving thanks as you go through your day. Even in the trouble spots. Alright? Now I want to urge upon you another discipline. And this, too, is a daily discipline that comes right out of the heart of God. I know that because Jesus practiced it. And he did so over and over again. And it is, in fact, embedded in one of the two ordinances which he gave to his church, baptism and communion or the Lord's Supper. And this discipline we ought to especially practice in the cuisine capital of the world. All right? Here we are, surrounded by by all that is delectable and delightful when we sit down to eat. I urge upon you three times a day to pause before you devour the food before you and give thanks. If you are in a great company of people and it is not appropriate to call them all to attention when your meal is delivered to just pause for a moment and say thank you God now Jesus does this we're going to read about it here in a minute if you will do this you are following his pattern you are following his teaching you're going to be surprised how when you bow in the presence of your food it will remind you of the table of communion, which he intended to be not simply an element of worship, but a way of approaching life. Thank you for the bread. Thank you for the cup. Lord, make me grateful. Now, this practice of giving thanks before you eat is wonderfully enhanced if there are one or two people who, you knowing their mind and heart, might just join with you to give thanks at your table. Maybe friends, perhaps a co-worker or two, or maybe your family gathered around. If you do this, if you have others join with you, 
you will also be following the practice of Jesus that we're going to read about here in a minute. Now, one thing's for sure. It's going to occur to you this next week to give thanks before you eat. It's just going to happen, all right? After we read this text, it's going to occur to you. You will have the opportunity then, reminded by the Holy Spirit, reminded by his word, to pause and give God a genuine, heartfelt thank you for his provision. You say, food? Food? We're going to stop and give thanks for food? Leftovers? Does this include less? Haven't they already been blessed? You know? Does this include fast food? Let's read. John 6, 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Peter, Where shall we buy food for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Say that with me. Have the people sit down. One more time. Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Have the people sit down. I don't know what chaos might have been going on on the hillside that day. 5,000 men milling around on the hillside. He sees the crowd coming toward him. They are on their feet. Anytime a crowd is on their feet, they are far more mobile than they are if they're sitting down. Amen? Hey, he's going to immobilize them. He's going to immobilize them. 
So he has them all seated to eliminate the confusion, to settle down the scene so that he can do what he intends to do. Have the people sit down. It's a way of taking charge. Of handling the situation. We used to sit down at the table for the meal. I remember, it wasn't that long ago. My father made two long benches. They were about eight feet long each. They went on either side of the dinner table. If you stacked them right, you could put six kids on each side. And there were always guests. And we sat down. I think this would be a good time between now and Thanksgiving. Instead of eating in front of the television, or maybe eating in cereal fashion, <laughs> I come grab mine, to, to inject a little bit of discipline into the house, into the friendship circle, and say, let's eat together. We're talking about Thanksgiving. We're talking about offering thanks. Let's eat together. And the first discipline is, have the people sit down. Now, thanks is good no matter how you give it. You can give it on the run. You can give it going down the road. You can be thanking God when you stand by your radiator and it's steaming and overheated. Thanks is good no matter how you give it. But there is a way to give thanks that engages your children, your family members, your friends, that brings them along in the journey of gratitude. And part of it is exercising a discipline. When you have opportunity, have them sit down. The table is wonderful in and of itself. It is, on, it is the only piece of furniture actually required in Christian worship. The pulpit came along later. Jesus didn't use a pulpit. The pews came along later. But that table, <laughs> you know, that's the Lord's table is how the Apostle Paul talked about it. He referred to it as the Lord's table. And for 2,000 years, people like you and me who follow Jesus and are Jesus people, believe in him with all our heart, have worked and slaved and tugged and hauled and brought the table to the church and put it in the middle. And the table is useful in a couple of ways. It's different than your couch. Your couch is probably pointed at your 52-inch LED. Am I right? Now, you may have your table oriented so you can see the TV too, okay? <laughs> but look, the table turns you face to face, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Kind of turns your family. Whether some on that side, some on this side, and you're making eye contact, you're looking at one another. Hey, your ears are ready to hear. Table talk. That's precious. That was precious to Jesus. It's precious to God. What goes along in the moment of the mealtime 
is important to him and to us. So he says, bring a table into your church. Let it be the symbol of you talking to one another, looking at each other, experiencing one another's presence in your home. Another thing that table does is it puts you elbow to elbow. So if you have the people sit down when you're about to have a meal and you sit down at the table, you can pass the beans and rice one to another. You serve each other. Say, would you pass the bread? I certainly will. And here you are. There's a service that's implied by the organization of the table. And the table itself is really that unique piece of furniture that turns us face to face, puts us elbow to elbow, and impresses on us that we are a family. We are a unit. We are a circle of friends. And we ought to take advantage of that moment. Have the people sit down. And then take the bread. Take the bread. Every time Jesus holds the bread. Why not have Andrew hold it? He's the one that found it. Right? He found the little boy with the lunch. Always figured that boy's name was Jacob. And always figured that boy was never the same after he gave his lunch away. Don't you think? You may be thinking, you know, I don't have much to give to Jesus. Maybe Jacob was thinking that when he showed up in the crowd, wormed his little body all through those thousands of people until he got right on the front line. His mom had fixed him a lunch. It was a big one. Five loaves, two fish. That's probably more than a little boy can eat. Barley loaves are the food of the poor, they say. So this boy's food is precious. And he shows up at the front and he realizes they're talking about food. And Jesus is asking them if they can feed these people. He's saying, where could we buy bread? And they're all saying, no way. We can't feed these people. I could work for eight months and not have enough money to feed these people. And Jacob tugs on Andrew's coat and says, sir, you can have my lunch. Imagine he looked at that lunch, and then he looked at Jesus, and then he thought, how can I keep this big lunch when there's so many people that are hungry? Next time you think, I don't have much to give to Jesus, I can't sing like Robert or play like Jeff, you think again. Look what Jesus did with a little boy's lunch. People have talked about it continuously for 2,000 years. This gift that little boy made to Jesus on this day. I'm sure it changed his life. I hope it changes yours. It was one of those barley loaves that Jesus held in his hand. I think it's better when you give thanks to be in the presence of your food. Now, sometimes I give thanks before the food arrives, all right? It's okay. It's okay. I'm not berating you. 
But Jesus takes and holds that bread for some reason. Because when you have it in hand, it's yours, right? Somebody said a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. You ever prayed for your meal that never arrived? You say, oh, that can't be a big deal. It is if you're poor and hungry. If you're poor and hungry, hey, it's a pretty big deal to have the roll in your hand if you were one of 13 kids. Hey, I kid you not. When that prayer was over, the food disappeared faster than you could believe. And there never were any leftovers. If you didn't get your roll in your hand, the only way you could protect it otherwise was to spit on it. (laughs) And yes, we did reserve pieces of cake and pie. That way, all right? But what you really wanted to do was take it and have it in your hand. Because then you are guaranteed. My brother John was in Haiti right after the earthquake and the chicken had laid an egg in the back of a pickup truck. And John saw it. All of a sudden there it was, you know. And then he saw a little boy looking at it. And he said, do you want the egg? And the little boy said, yes. And John said, you can have it. And he whipped his arm out. And he grabbed that egg and he popped it whole in his mouth and ate it right there in front of him. Shell and all. You may not know what it is to be hungry. But while I preach this sermon, three children under five will die on this planet. Because they don't have enough to eat. In fact, five million children, preschoolers, will die this year of hunger and malnutrition. Some of us have seen them. The street urchins in Lima. The hovels in Mexico City and Caracas and Buenos Aires. We have seen them in Africa, where we've gone so many times. There are people right now, today, who if they were able to hold a loaf of bread, they would take it to their chest, and it would be to them the gift of life. We live in such prosperity, it is hard for us to imagine, but not for Jesus who was born in a barn nor for his disciples for him to take the bread to feel the crust to have it in his presence to experience the presence of that food it was important to him he's the one who taught you And you have rehearsed it many times. It's Jesus who takes the bread here, who taught you in his model prayer to say every day, Lord, give me today 
my daily bread. If we can't learn to be grateful for the loaf that is in hand, we will also be hard-hearted about the breath God gives us, the heartbeat, and all his other good provisions that, yes, over a course of a lifetime, we may indeed just take for granted and assume that they are ours that somehow we deserve them over others less fortunate in all the vast world. But if we will learn today and the days to follow to sincerely, genuinely take the bread and give thanks, it'll put life in its real perspective. How things really are Though you never have experienced hunger before, one day you may. When you can no longer eat, when the systems of your body give out and you can't enjoy the food anymore, then you will remember the days when you ate it so fast and took it for granted and probably wish you had slowed down a smidgen to say thank you for the wonder provision that is ours from the hand of God. Every day, God stretches out his hand to you and it is full and dripping with the best things that life can bring. If you will embrace this truth, It will transform the way you handle not only your prosperity and bounty, but also the lean times of life. To bring the family into the circle of your gratitude is to have them sit down, to take the bread in front of them. Somebody will be thinking like Andrew as Jesus prays. He's looking at that loaf that Jesus is holding and he's thinking to himself, what are we doing here? What is happening? If you speak your prayer, it will gather every conscious person into the circle of your gratitude. It's a way to pull them in to speak the prayer. God hears the whispered prayer of the heart. He loves to have you in the prayer closet all by yourself. That's real prayer. But sometimes a prayer needs to go out on the sound waves. It needs to be released into the atmosphere. Sometimes you need to say it. And sometimes we don't say it because we don't want to be the center of attention. Once Jesus has sat them down and he takes that bread... I believe there's a kind of hush that falls over that crowd. They're not sure what's happening. But they see Jesus taking that bread and he's about to pray. And all of a sudden he's the center of the motion in that moment. And that's a little uncomfortable place to be. When George Shin bought the hornets, he instituted an invocation. It was exactly 20 seconds long. 
So when you went to the Hornets basketball game, you had to submit your written prayer. And they made sure it was just about long enough. And then when all the practicing was over and they sang the national anthem, they had the invocation. They gave you the microphone. They turned on the spotlight and nobody was spotlighted but you. And they gave you the microphone and your voice alone was heard in the arena for 20 seconds. It was an intimidating moment of prayer. I always ask God to help me do a genuine prayer. When you're all by yourself and you're praying in your heart or in your prayer closet, it's just you and God. But when you say it out loud over the dinner table, it's you and God and Tim, Dave, Tom, Dan, John, Mitchell. (laughs) It's everybody in the circle now. And they're looking at you. Now, dads and moms and young people, we need to learn to pray in that moment. Okay? You need to learn to speak the prayer. The prayer of blessing doesn't so much bless the food, okay? As it's a blessing of God who gives us the food. Can you do that? Can you say a prayer that blesses God for the food? It doesn't have to be memorized. It doesn't have to be eloquent. It doesn't have to be long. Dad, mom, older kids in the family. I grew up never knowing if it was going to be me or my brother or somebody else around the table who was going to offer thanks. Somebody would. But we didn't know till we all sat down and the food was steaming in front of us. And then dad would call on somebody to pray. Now, when I pray, the grandchildren get antsy. Sometimes Brady will jump in and say amen in the middle of my blessing. (laughs) You know, he's ready for the amen. Back then when I was a kid, my prayers were short and to the point. Okay, here's what it needs to be. You sit down together. You're in the presence of the bounty God has given. And somebody speaks the heartfelt thank you to God that everybody on the table can say amen to. See, when you speak the prayer, you're voicing it for the fellow on your right and the fellow across the table and the fellow on your left, for your friend that came with you to lunch. You're speaking the thank you for everybody there. And it is a powerful and wonderful thing to do. It doesn't have to be fancy. I don't think the prayer of Jesus was fancy on this day. One of the gospel writers said, instead of bowing his head, he took that bread and he looked up to heaven. That'd be okay too. If you want to do that, that'd be following the picture of Jesus, the example of Jesus. All four writers record that he gave thanks. He spoke the prayer. I think everybody experienced that prayer. Maybe not so noteworthy in language, but amazing in its context, there by the hillside. And after they left that place and wondered how such a thing could happen, maybe their minds went back to the prayer where Jesus gave thanks. And maybe that was for them the explanation of the miracle 
And maybe it will be for you as well. To experience the bounty and provision of God unleashed in your life through the genuine giving of thanks. Where does that begin, you say? It begins as you thank God for Jesus himself who took that bread that day. As you give thanks to God by receiving him as your Savior and Lord, thanking God for what he has done, not just in the bread and all the provision he has made, but in the wonderful provision of his Son. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the nail-pierced hands. Thank you for your forgiveness and grace brought into my life through Jesus your Son. I receive it. In a way, the prayer of thanksgiving is receiving the gift given. Let's pray together. Maybe it is time for you in your life to say thank you God for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. Thank you that he made that great sacrifice for me. I know that I'm a sinner. Forgive me for my sin. I give my life to you in gratitude for what you have done. Would you pray that prayer unto the Father, thanking him for his Son and how he saves us through the work of Christ upon the cross. Lord, we pray now that you will receive our heartfelt thanks for Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Thank you, God, for sending your one and only Son to rescue us, unworthy sinners though we are. Thank you that you loved us so completely, even when we were sinners and going our own way. Thank you for how you turned your heart toward us and initiated our salvation in such a costly way. Lord, we pray that our response of gratitude will be fitting and proper and pleasant in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.